Hello and welcome to the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Dan Madigan. Here to talk UConn men's hoops. Dan Hurley's squad is 3-0 after taking care of Mississippi Valley State, 87-53. But not everything is perfect in Huskyville. Uh, There are some injury concerns. There are some uh, other concerns uh, with the roster and the team coming out of this game. Overall, of course, we're feeling pretty solid about how the Huskies are. They've got Indiana on Sunday to kick off the Empire Classic. Uh, big potential matchup with, with Texas coming up after that. We're going to talk about all of that and more. Madigan, how are you feeling in the wake of the Mississippi Valley State University matchup with the Delta Devils? I love the Delta Devils as a nickname. I just have to say, like, incredibly cool. Um, I'm very happy the game is over. That was uh, some tough basketball to watch, honestly. Um, MVSU is literally the worst team in Ken Palm and has the worst offense, and they lived up to the hype. Uh, it's pretty pretty ugly on the offensive end, um, but they definitely hustled. They hung around on defense, honestly, and the game was felt a lot closer than you know a 34-point margin of victory for UConn. Um, it wasn't really a pretty game cam spencer balled out he had 25 points i believe um you know they really took care of business it wasn't like it was ever close um but it just wasn't really like beautiful basketball like we've kind of seen from this team honestly since what the second half of the first round of the ncaa tournament last year like you know the nau game was great the stonehill game uh looked great as well so it was a little disappointing to see them definitely mail in a performance against a bad team. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, I was there looking around and it's like, what are, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? seems like pretty much everyone mailed in that game, um, coaching staff players included. Um, and I don't blame them, but you know, Hurley went deep into the bench, like before the under 16 timeout and it's a young team. I'm, I'm all for getting those young guys, the experience they need at the division one level, but I feel like that could have been better served against a uh, a stronger opponent, especially when there's decent options um, locally. So um, definitely an interesting choice. One of the weirder games that I can remember in the past few years, but I also think with how hard the schedule is um, coming up, especially in December, it's not the worst thing in the world to play uh, one or two cupcakes to uh, open up the year. Yeah, I think it's it's less about this one specific game and those three opponents as a whole. Stonehill also very much very far down there in those rankings. And yeah, as it relates to a sluggish performance, you can maybe understand uh, if you're looking at a schedule where you've got uh, Stonehill on Saturday and MVSU on Tuesday that some things could could get that way and then there's also you know we have to talk about obviously the fact that stefan castle was not playing um so that is obviously the team's point guard we don't want to assign too too much importance to his presence he's he's only been there for for two games before that but obviously his his talent and the position he holds means a lot to the team solo ball started in his place um i think that uh, certainly contributes obviously when you're missing a starter that contributes but that should not be an issue against a team like this and i think that's where that you know 
Dan Hurley's anger, the the words that he had, the the real, you know, severe callouts he had for his team with the language that he used, soft, undisciplined, uh, Samson Johnson taking a step back in his words, defensive effort poor all around, um, not blocking shots. Uh, they had the the Delta Devils had 14 offensive rebounds, same as UConn uh, in the game, and and you know that team with with the size that it has, you know, like look at their uh, their stat sheet. Let me just quickly confirm. Yeah, they don't have anyone over six foot eight, six foot nine on their roster. There was there's no reason a, a team with Donovan Klingon and Samson Johnson and the good rebounding that it has at the wing should not have been a little bit more dominant. Can certainly understand Coach Hurley's perspective there. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you can make the schedule tougher. I think it's a it's a really really fair point. But the other side of it is that yeah, the the rest of the schedule is tough. They're playing these games in Madison Square Garden. They're going to travel to Gonzaga. They're going to travel to Kansas. So. Yeah, it's just weird. I guess it's just a, it's just a very unique schedule where there's there's many great highs but also significant lows. It's not like it's not like much of the XL or Gamble home schedule as we discussed before the season has really a ton to to bite on non-conference. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. The game got off to like the worst possible start other than, you know, UConn losing, but um Newton and Caravan picked up two quick fouls right within like the first 10, eight, 10 minutes or so of that game. And with Castle out as well, like there's just so many new faces. I believe Hurley went to Ross off the bench early over Diara. And there's just a lot of inexperience. Obviously, you know, they still took care of business and, and, you know, maintained a lead on MVSU. And it, it never was really close, even when it was down to like, I don't know, they cut it to like seven or eight points at one point, I think um, once the lead started building up, but it was never really close. They still took care of business, um, but it was definitely noticeably different than even the Stonehill game uh, a few days prior, just in terms of like the the energy and the discipline that the team had. Like there were a lot of uh, just frankly dumb mistakes that pe- uh, players that you don't expect to do that, like the Tristan Newtons, the Alex Caravans of the world um, continually made. Hopefully it's just a matter of, you know, looking forward to big game against uh, Indiana at MSG, like, definitely something you know, it's classic to look past a game like this uh, and look forward to, you know, the big bright lights at MSG. So we'll see what happens, but I think the castle absence was a big deal, but I also don't know if like, I don't think they're winning that game by that much more or covering that historic, like 45 and a half point spread. If castle plays, um, they just didn't have that in them uh, on, on Tuesday night. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And look, Hurley was Hurley was furious throughout the game. I don't know if you caught his anger, you know, throughout different different points of the game. He was yelling, Samson rebound, Samson rebound, you know, just on some of those plays where, where Mississippi Valley State was getting offensive rebounds. And uh he was furious about about the fouls. He uh he quickly ripped uh Jalen Stewart out of the game after after he made a mistake uh on a sequence uh he was not pleased with uh the team and yeah i mean again i don't i don't think we need to dwell too too much on a sluggish performance under these circumstances the loss was not in question uh, um and like you said 
maybe create more game atmospheres where uh, that is less of the case. Again, that is going to change very soon, and, and hopefully the team is ready for that. We have lots of reason to believe in all of its talent. Um, you know, I'm I'm concerned, though, about Castle. I, I think we're not sure about the timeline right now. The way that his injury worked out was that they did not know about it, you know, day day of, day after the Stonehill. Sorry, you know, like moments after the Stonehill game. It's not like, oh, he's injured. Uh, it's something that kind of they said came out in the day or two afterwards and that they were still getting information about his injury up until shoot around on Tuesday. Hurley did say that the plan was for him not to play once they found out about this one or two days after. But again, they're still collecting information as it relates to the time. You know, we may find out after this podcast gets out. But yeah, look, obviously, if your starting point guard is missing time, that's that's something that's bad for the team. Uh, and something that would be really tough to overcome in the early going, I think, if they were missing him. In terms of the starting lineup, I don't really think it's a huge issue because, um, you know, other than other than three NBA players that left, uh, the lineup is really similar to last year in terms of Newton could take over at point guard, Cam Spencer, Caravan could fill in those like Hawkins types roles. Obviously, we know what Klingon can do uh, and he'll still be a magnet uh, for the defense to focus on. But yeah, I mean, it would be a huge opportunity for the other freshmen on the bench, the Jaden Rosses, the Jalen Stewart's of the world solo ball to step up and, and provide quality minutes because, you know, there's no Joey Calcaterra or Naheem Aline coming off the bench where um, they can provide solid minutes and, and kind of step up um, and kind of hold down the fort. So it'll be interesting to see how the freshmen react uh, if Castle's unable to go on uh, on Sunday, but it's also a lot of time, and I feel like I really feel like this championship has um, kind of made Hurley a lot more casual, and he's definitely still like intense. And there was articles last week about how you know how he's dealing with his mental health and everything since since winning that. And uh, I just feel like he's a lot more candid, and he was pretty open about the castle injury. And I I kind of want to take him at his word, saying that at that time he doesn't think it's that big of a deal. Um, that doesn't mean it won't be a problem all season, but if he's not even remotely worried about it, I feel like he's someone that's been super guarded about injuries in the past. If he's kind of saying like, well, you know, it doesn't really seem like much. We're going to see what happens later in the week, but don't expect it to be anything. Um, I'm willing to believe that for now. And uh, hopefully we can see him play on Sunday against Indiana. Cause that's one of the first big games of the year, but if not, it's probably more important to have him rested up for conference play. Um, or, you know, just make sure he's fully healthy before he comes back, whether that's on the road against Kansas or um, in Seattle against Gonzaga or later on in the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think reading between the lines a little bit, I think it I don't know if we're going to see him in, in New York uh, Sunday and Monday. But I do think if it's not so severe that there's a chance after that. I do agree with you up to the point of believing that it's it's probably not like a severe injury, like a like a. I don't. I don't even want to say. You know the things that I'm that I'm ruling out. But um, you know, I, I think we'll see him play again. I think it'll be fairly soon. Um, the fact that it was not a outwardly apparent injury obviously is a is a pretty good sign that it's not uh, hopefully that huge. And it, and I don't think it's something that he would have 
you know, like aggravated or anything like that. And I trust that everyone's, you know, taking the right precautions as it relates to kind of the veteran off the bench. I mean, we talked about it in the last podcast, Hassan Diara has the potential to kind of be that guy. He showed some flashes, I think of being a more stable player over these first three games in the season. I think he knows his role a little bit better. He still to me seems a little too eager to, to, to put a shot up, but I think overall, um, you know, what he brings is important and, and is going to be going forward, no matter, you know, no matter what with Castle's situation. Um, I, I will say I was surprised to see Ball get the start. Not that I had a specific person in mind uh, to start with Castle out. It's not really something I was thinking about a ton, but uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a little bit surprising. Um, but, and, and, but we didn't really see anything too, too unique out of the lineup aside from, like you said, some of the younger guys getting in earlier and then Apostolos getting in, um, you know, kind of during real minutes in the second half. Um, I think foul, foul troubles contributed to that a little bit, but, you know, look, if, if one person's hurt and some guys are a little skittish or maybe not fully ready, uh, the bench does become a concern. So, you know, I, again, not not trying to overreact to one game here, but I do think just the fact that that UConn is relying on so many young people, that really highlights that as the X factor for this season is, you know, to me, how far can these young people develop over time? How much playing time can you get them and how can you get them to be playing well together? Yeah, I think that's kind of why Diara didn't get the start is I think his role as either that sixth or seventh man coming off the bench is so important. It's really going to set the tone uh, just because of, of his abilities as a perimeter defender. There's not really, you know, based on what we've seen from Castle so far, he looks like a solid defender, but he's not an Andre Jackson level or even Diara level like perimeter defender just yet. Um, and I think Hurley kind of left him on the bench so he could come come off and get used to that again and continue to be a weapon there. And at the same time, um, Solo Ball is a top, you know, one of the top recruits in the country. He was top, I think, 50 or top 75 guy. Give him a little taste of of what happens if you work hard and, and you know, kind of dangle the carrot out in front of him a little bit and show him what his future could be here. Um, I've been really impressed with him so far, I think. He really doesn't look or like carry himself like a freshman and he just looks comfortable out there. I, I love that he's looking for a shot. He had seven three-point attempts against MVSU, which um, in other games could be a problem, but in a game like this, I'm happy that he's looking for a shot and looking to score and he's really athletic and he's really aggressive. And I think between him and Castle, it's, it's really interesting to have two big physical guards um, just because for so many years, UConn really hasn't had those types of, of guards. It's always been smaller, like more finesse type guys. Um, so having two big physical guards, it's going to make defense easier for years to come and um, gives Hurley a lot of options offensively and defensively. But yeah, I, I, I'm pretty impressed with Diara so far. I think he's reined himself in. Uh, he's he's definitely still a little trigger happy uh, looking for his shot, but you can tell that he's looking to make that extra pass, um, trying to make sure to find the open man and he's getting to the rim when it's open and, and he's converting. So I think he's going to be fine. I I think he's going to be a big asset off the bench this year just because of, you know, this, the skill set that he has. Yeah, no, I agree. I like Paul. I think his shooting is a plus and his athleticism is he's, he's almost like Andre Jackson-esque, 
with the way that he could be a difference maker defensively with that athleticism, but he's going to have to to learn it um, because there were definitely a lot of, you know, almost like like a cornerback, like missed assignments uh, on on Tuesday night. So, but I will say, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're hovering around the point here that if we're talking about the uh, the freshmen, the five freshmen, if if Castle is the leader of the pack, it seems like Ball is very clearly the second guy in that group who's going to see the most time. That's been the case all year thus far. He's he's the one who's appeared the most ready. And with Ross and Stewart, I think it's still decently far away. Um, you know, Ball was someone who Hurley mentioned being happy with in the preseason. And I think, you know, we're going to continue to see Ball get that additional time to work through that. Um, for Ross and Stewart at this point, I think it's going to be they have to really develop and show it. This game was an opportunity to do that, and they didn't really take it. Uh, I don't think Ross had 17 minutes, no points, four rebounds. Stewart, 11 minutes, two points, one rebound, one assist. So, um, but I think both were hesitant um, at times trying to do a little too much uh, and then, you know, defensively lost at times. And so I think, and then I, and then at one point we saw Stewart get a pretty quick hook from Hurley where Hurley didn't even look at him when he came back to the bench, uh, did one of those. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think those guys, I think those guys have a little bit of work to do, but you know, to, to to get back to the to the core of the team and what's going on. I mean, I still feel really really strong about what they have there. Talked about this game, Cam Spencer and his his threes, nineteen points in the first half, twenty five in the game, got him there. Tristan Newton, another good game, almost had a triple double. He's been just a really steady rock all season. I think he's going to be exactly what UConn needs from, or what yeah, what UConn he is going to deliver exactly what UConn needs from him. And Alex Caravan, I've been so impressed with the way he plays. Even in this game, he didn't play as much as he would have with foul trouble. Um, he still had uh, 14 points, uh, only 23 minutes. Otherwise, he had been kind of their leading leading uh, minute getter. That great, I'm great with words. Um, but I, I really like the way that he was assertive. I like the way he was looking out for his own shot. He can hit the mid-range. He can hit the three. And he can bang a little bit in the post. He can attack the rim and, and score. And so if that's the Alex Caravan that that we're going to get, that's that's amazing. And as long as he stays out of foul trouble, which, you know, at least two or three of his four fouls felt like ticky-tack calls, uh, I think I think he'll be in good shape and set to be a leader in the team. He's leading them right now, 17 points per game. And then uh, the other four are basically hovering around 15. So it's a starting lineup that's just absolutely loaded where anyone can beat you. That's the strength of this team. It's arguably in terms of just the starting lineup stronger than last year's team in terms of like one to five, you know, how, how like much can anyone take on a scoring load, but um, the depth remains a concern, but the starting lineup is just so, so good that I think it's, that's, that's what's going to give UConn a shot, even in these early games against Indiana, Texas, Kansas, Gonzaga, I think. Yeah, I, I'm really impressed with Caravan. I think he's really just taken that leap. And I know 
we talked about this, I'm on like offline when I was writing an article about it and, and kind of, you know, outside of all this, but he's really continuing to be gre- aggressive offensively. Like he's not just settling for those open catch and shoot threes. He's looking to see how hard that defender closes out on him. And then he's blown right by him um, and getting into the lane for a layup, a dunk, a finish with either hand. And, you know, Caravan is not the most like athletic guy in the world. And I, when he committed to UConn, that was something that I stressed as like a concern was that I think the skills were there, the physical skills were there, but it was just going to be a matter of his athleticism to whether he could hang and play at like a big East high major level. Um, and he seems to have really put in the work to transform like his body and improve uh, physically and all of those skills, the shooting skills, the basketball IQ, which I think is phenomenal and, and probably the best on the team uh, have, have stayed the same. So he's been a real weapon. Um, I'd love to see him getting to the free throw line. He has 14 attempts already. He's had at least four in every game. Um, I believe he's only, he only had four free throw attempts, four or more free throw attempts, like four or five times last season. So it's really cool to see him be aggressive, uh, especially as one of the top options on offense now. Um, and it, it's just really, really impressive to see how much he's developed just from the end of last season to now. But going into that game against MVSU, the, the two things that I was personally the most not concerned for, but the thing I was keeping an eye out for was how many minutes was Donovan Klingon going to play and how many attempts is Cam Spencer going to get from three? Like how, how, how is he going to kind of get out of that little slump that he was in? So Spencer answered the call. He was seven for 11 from deep. He uh, just looked really confident out there. And all those shots are within the flow of the offense, which I really uh, am constantly in admiration of. Like he's really never forcing a shot. And it almost seems like the opposite where even his teammates, the coaches are, are kind of asking him to shoot uh, and step into those open threes. And Klingon ended up playing a little over 20 minutes, I believe, which was right around his, his minutes cap. So good to see that he's kind of getting uh, healthy, trending in the right direction, in good game shape for um, some matchups against some more physical teams, uh, a little stiffer competition than what we've seen in the first three games of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think for Spencer, you know, obviously having a, having a good scoring game, huge, huge for him and, and his psyche. But I totally agree with what you're saying about the way his shots were in the flow of the offense and that that was even the kind of the case when they were not going in in the first two games, Hurley had mentioned in the first, uh, already just how much he likes the way Spencer moves the ball in the offense, and for me that was my first game you know of the year uh, in Mississippi Valley State, and just I you know seeing it in person, it's just he he very quickly makes the right decision. He he will take the ball and either very quickly get it to the open guy, uh, you know, or take a shot and or you know or dribble or whatever but you know i think he's just very decisive moves the ball quickly hurley mentioned like hockey assist he gets he's he's racking those up too uh so i think it's just you know he's a, he's a great player to have and someone who contributes to the fact that so many different guys can can beat you the you know to get into some of the other some of the areas where this team really does need to work on its defense uh, it's something that Spencer himself called out of, of his own performance in Tuesday night's game and something that I think is going to be a concern for the team if they are 
letting up offensive rebounds like this. And if they are not really dominating in the paint, you know, like, like they should, um, that includes Klingon and Samson Johnson, who did not have his best game. As I mentioned earlier, Hurley referred to it as um, a bit of a step back, uh, which, which is not something that you want to hear. Uh, Johnson had five points, five rebounds. And I think that like low post toughness is something that's, that's going to be an issue. I mean, UConn is good and has talented players down there. Uh, we still haven't seen the, the Klingon Johnson combo yet down low, but I do think that those guys do have some room to grow, some, some polish, some uh, areas for improvement. I, I think, you know, Johnson, it's one thing I can kind of, you can understand him being a little up and down in, in the early going of him getting lots of time. Klingon, I think, you know, there's the injury component, but you kind of expect him to be, you know, as dominant as he was, almost even more dominant in a game like this. And with Klingon, the other issue then is the free throws. If he's not hitting, you know, the, if he's not hitting his free throws at a good enough rate, then that's going to uh, be an issue as well. So he's at 35% right now, which, you know, that's, that's of course, not great. Uh, so those are, those are some concerns right now is, you know, defense, some low post kind of like dogged toughness and uh, that, that offensive rebounding component, which, which is a, a kind of alarming statistic statistic from that last game. I'm not going to put a lot of thought into this MVSU game after we kind of wrap up on this podcast here. Um, that offense, I, I can't stress enough just how awful it was. I, I've really never seen an offense that bad um, at the collegiate level, at the D1 level. And I don't want to make excuses, but I can count probably four or five times where the Delta Devils missed a shot so, so poorly that it ended up in another teammate's hand just because of a, a bad bounce, a weird ricochet stuff that um, just you're not used to seeing as a, as an offensive or defensive rebounder. So I'm not worried about the rebounding whatsoever. Um, UConn is still going to be one of the top rebounding teams in the country, especially on their end. Um, I really like Newton's ability as a rebounder as well as obviously uh, Klingon. Um as with Spencer, I think I still think he's going to be a really good player, and I think he's going to be a, a very important piece to this team. I think the problem is that a lot of folks, um, ourselves included, we're guilty of this, is thinking of him as like um, off-brand Jordan Hawkins, just the way that he fits with the team and the offense. And in reality, he's really more of like a, a luxury brand Joey Calcaterra, where he's probably – uh, you know, a better shooter, more consistent shooter, um, a better passer within the offense. Um, but there's still some holes defensively that may limit his playing time and stretches. But overall, I think the way that he fits in the offense is just really unbelievable, especially for stepping in as, as a grad transfer. And I think he's only going to get better. And as he plays more minutes with Klingon, uh, with Castle, with Newton, I think they're going to be able to hide um, his defensive flaws a little bit. And it's kind of the same thing that happened with Caravan. Like Caravan had no business being on the floor at times last year because he was just a liability on defense. But 
um, he was able to put the work in and improve and um, grow not only as an individual defender, but as a team defender. Uh, and I think it's very possible that Cam Spencer could do the same thing. So it might be a problem now. It could burn UConn, whether it's at Kansas or Gonzaga or something like that. But when it really matters and it's time for March or April, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Spencer kind of makes that leap. Yeah, I'm definitely, I guess I would say, less worried about um, Spencer than I would say the the, the fellows down low, uh, again, because someone gets hurt, someone gets into foul trouble, and then all of a sudden it's uh, it seems like seems like a potential panic situation. But uh, no, I, I agree. And I think, again, you know, we're feeling, feeling very solid about this team. They've got a big test coming up uh, with their tournament at Madison Square Garden. Sunday, they're playing Indiana, a team that is probably decent uh, based on what we know so far. Um, but it's certainly going to be the toughest opponent that UConn has faced to date this year. Uh, so far, Indiana has defeated Florida Gulf Coast by six points in a game that was probably closer than they wanted. Uh, and then they had another game that was closer than they wanted against Army, where they were only leading by, I think, one or two at the half. Ended up with a eight-point win over the troops. Uh, so Indiana, I guess I would say their early season performance is leaving a little bit to be desired. Uh, that's that's a team I'd, I'd say I expect UConn to, to still be able to get through, just being what they are, even though there are some concerns and maybe even a starter not playing. I think UConn should be able to get by that opponent. Uh, and then set up a potentially big game against Texas, who's right now ranked 19th in the country. Uh, so, you know, Big test coming up. How are you feeling, Matt, again, heading into this Indiana matchup? I would say I feel confident um, about what the Huskies can do. I, I think this Indiana team, you know, it would be a different beast if it was a year ago and, and Trace Jackson Davis was still there because, um, you know, he was probably one of the, the five or eight best players in the country, uh, but he's on to the NBA now. And there's definitely some talent here with this team, but Indiana in general really isn't um, interested in spacing the floor and, and shooting threes uh, on offense. They're really more about kind of packing it in the paint, uh, trying to get layups, mid-range jumpers, things like that. And I think that's something that Klingon and even Samson Johnson um, could be able to negate uh, somewhat easily. And I think it'll be a better test to see how the defense looks. Um, and they're going to, UConn's going to try and force Indiana to take some threes, spread their offense out a little bit more, um, kind of take them out of their comfort zone. But Indiana does have uh, Kel Ware, who I believe was at Oregon last year, and he did give UConn some trouble, I, I believe. I'm looking right now at his stats here. Yeah, he had 18 points against UConn last year. So um, that it's going to be a really fun matchup to see Klingon go up against him. Um, but I think UConn is just a better team top to bottom, um, whether Castle plays or not. And I think they can advance. And um, if that's the case, or even if they lose, the the hope is that Texas does the same um, because it would be a lot more fun to play Texas, who is uh, number 19 in this week's AP poll over Louisville, who is just an absolute dumpster fire of a program. So um, that could be a really fun game on Monday night. That'll be probably the best test that UConn will get. 
um, until they head to Lawrence when they take on Kansas. Um, Texas has one of the best individual scorers in the country, and Max Abmus, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Um, he was at Oral Roberts, led them on a, a, a big NCAA tournament run a few years back. Just a really, really talented scorer, really fun player to watch, um, a real weapon from the perimeter too. He's not a big player, um, but he's very quick. So that could be a matchup where if UConn does play Texas, we could see a lot of Hassan Diara and Hurley just kind of throwing Diara on Atmos for as long as possible just to try and keep him in check. So um, could be two really fun matchups at MSG for UConn, depending on how things shake out. Yeah, it's a big weekend. Yeah, no matter what, Indiana, it's an important matchup for the Huskies, their first big one of the year. And then if they win that, yeah, set up a potentially huge game. Uh, like you said, I think there's really interesting components to both matchups. We'll break them down further as we get closer to the game. But uh, we'll close out our podcast with a quick review of some Big East scores. We're going to keep tabs on how some of the folks from around the conference are doing. The Gavit games are going on uh, right now. So some Big East teams are playing Big Ten teams. We're all very interested in how that's going. but. First, Madigan, I want to talk to you about a score involving Georgetown University losing to Holy Cross, 68-67. Oh, no. Not a great start for the Ed Cooley era. I will also add that Georgetown is giving away free tickets for their basketball games. So uh, hiring a new head coach away from a good team within your conference Still did not draw those nerds over to your basketball arena to go play, to your downtown NBA arena to go watch your extremely mid-team, actually worse than that, uh, lose to Holy Cross. Yikes. Holy Cross is 321st in Ken Palm. Uh, that's that's low. That's that's a tough loss for Ed Cooley and the boys. Mm. I was I was thinking maybe Holy Cross, like like they are how they're kind of like good at football. Maybe they're like a sneaky good, but the, yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh no, they're they're terrible. So there's an alternate universe where that's a Big East conference game, but we don't have to get into that uh, on the podcast the whole, today. The Holy Cross is a power just right there with us. The the Duke of the Northeast, if only. Um, DePaul 74, 70 something, Long Beach State seventy. DePaul loses to Long Beach State. Uh, that's, that's not good, but I will say they did get the win over South Dakota, 72 to 60. So DePaul, uh, many people say they don't belong in the conference, but they do, uh, look at them. They just beat South Dakota. They play basketball. What more can you ask for? Come on. Yeah. I, the DePaul thing is just constantly a mystery to me. Um, people that I'm, that I know that are, that I'm friends with that don't follow, basketballs closely uh always reach out to me and they're like how is DePaul not good like what what's the issue there and mm-hmm. um there's a lot of organizational failures I think that have led into that but it seems that they're doing the right thing but I want to get this out on the, the airways first is I think they should just hire um either Kamani Young or, or Luke Murray next offseason oh. oh. and just do what Georgetown did with Ed Cooley the, there's precedent there it's already happened it's a huge step for either of them and I mean, with Kamani, we know he's a good coach. I don't, I don't think we need to see him bide his time at the Iona's or the Fairfields of the world. Um, why not just give him the keys to um, 
a once decent program in a good basketball town uh, and see what he can do. Um, I, I really think there's no downside to that. And I, I actually really think they should do it, but they might hire Dave Leto again instead. I've got, I've got a great list of potential candidates uh, for DePaul, but first I will say that yes, very clearly they're turning things around. They've hired a very good content team. Uh, their like schedule reveal videos and stuff like that were so good. Uh, they did like, like old school VCR, like cassettes and each, opponent was a cassette and it was cool it was really cool they've been doing a lot of great stuff there and yeah i mean i think you're you're spot on basically it was just they they had what what some might call a lack of institutional commitment in the past and they had other reasons but you know you know who i like for them uh potentially at head coach is kevin ollie i think that's someone who could be a really good uh candidate there you bring kevin ollie in you have one really good year uh then other things happen uh, but then you win a championship after he leaves. Uh, history has taught us. So uh, that's something to think about. I actually really like John Thompson III for DePaul. I think he'd be a great candidate, uh, proven a proven Big East winner in that he did win an amount of games in the Big East as a coach. Uh, so that's, that's my short list for DePaul. I'm actually publishing it in the Athletic uh, later this week. So I'm working on solutions for DePaul basketball, but I agree that it's, it's crazy that a program in Chicago isn't better, but uh, what can you do? It's also crazy that a program in Washington, D.C. isn't better. They've been trashed for two decades, so get your act together, Georgetown, in my opinion. Uh, let's let's talk about kicking them out of the conference. Maybe they should go into the Patriot League, join Bucknell and Holy Cross, uh, you know, where they belong. But yeah, I don't know. Th those are my candidates for, for DePaul's head coaching job. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Kevin, you know, Kevin Ollie back in the league would be just, again, it would just add to the dynamic. I think. I think there's a lot of potential with that list. I, I really like that. And I think, you know, the big East is just a family, right. And I think we want to keep everything in the family as much as possible. Look how that went for UConn when they did that um, resulted in a national championship. So um, there's precedent there and I, I'm all for it. Yeah. Another candidate, Adama Sonogo. He's already there. He's also a proven Big East winner. Uh, so that's that's my short list, actually. I'm going to file that to the athletic editor. Uh, I got to add that Adama Sonogo bit. But um, all right, other scores around the league, other teams that may be looking for a new head coach potentially in the future. Villanova, 72, Penn, 76. Ouch. Losing to Penn is absolutely brutal if you are Villanova. Uh, it does not matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter if anyone's hurt. It doesn't matter who's home, away, whatever. You're both in Philly. Obviously, Vill Villanova does not rep Philly, but, uh, well, neither does Penn. Uh, but, look, so embarrassing if you're Villanova to lose to Penn. That's like UConn losing to Yale. Come on, that would never happen. I don't believe that's ever happened. We have no evidence of that ever happening, but... Um, the Kyle Neptune project very much under fire uh, in outer, outer Philadelphia, Madigan. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the good thing is, is that the Villanova fans are handling it really well. I think they're taking it from like 10,000 feet away and realizing that, you know, this is a process. It's not going to be a straight line to the top. There's going to be some valleys. Uh, there's going to be some hills. Um, Justin Moore had 25 points 
Um, and there's still an Archdiacono brother there. Um, so that's kind of cool. So, you know, the same thing, it's, it's about the family. Uh, it's not about the end result. So, uh, this is just a speed bump. You know, I think, uh, a lot of people said this is a final four team if Jay Wright was coaching and, and maybe they can get Jay Wright to coach, uh, the rest of the season and that could turn things around. But, um, yeah, maybe, this is maybe Raleigh Massimino loss. is available to coach this team. If he can do it, come on. It's, it's this crazy. Is a tough loss. It's a really bad loss. I agree. I believe it was I, home too, or was it at the Palestra or was it home? I think it was at the Palestra. Uh, it's um, it Still doesn't, bad. doesn't matter where it is. Uh, um, I, I so I mean I think I think it's still early to be like this guy is not the right coach at Villanova, uh, and you have to factor in the circumstances and a lot of other things. Um, and the fact that this team very well still could be pretty good by the time it all matters in in March and whatever. But what I will say, Madigan, is that I have a bachelor's and a master's. I have donated dozens of dollars to the university, and I believe that my opinion matters more because of that. And so if I think the coach should be fired, then go ahead and fire him. So that's the Villanova mindset right now is post your donor stats and let us know whether or not you think Kyle Neptune should still be the coach. We're monitoring the situation very closely. You have votes can be purchased. And if you want, uh, vote with your wallet. I mean, that part is true. You can vote with your wallet to fire Kyle Neptune. You can make another 50K donation. That young man and his family can make another uh, series of 50K donations until they have made enough. Uh, to pay a buyout and for a new coach and then they'll get there so uh, yeah Villanova's Villanova fans having a very normal reaction to growing pains a thing they certainly never had with Jay Wright sarcasm font like you know come on so again uh, we'll see what happens Villanova fans wow get over yourselves and also truly though get over yourselves Villanova graduates wow I saw that tweet in the wild and we've talked about this a lot twitter is not real the real world but sometimes things just are you know right on brand with with those types of people so um they might actually like it seems like they're kind of rallying around it now and they may have enough money donated now to <laughs> actually buy out kyle neptune like it may have you know really come full circle like that guy got what he wanted at the end of the day um but yeah it's I don't know. I, I do think Villanova will probably be fine. Um, I, I don't really understand the lack of patience. Um, it's very hard to lose one of the best coaches in the sport and then try to immediately succeed. Like it, it almost never happens. Um, I don't understand why Villanova would be any different. So um, it's going to, it, it is a slow burn, but um, it is good for the big East if they're good again, but also the big East is doing just fine without them being that good this year. Yeah, I mean it's it, exactly it's fine. I I I don't love, I don't really care about the you know Big East being better things, but um, yeah, I mean look, it's a tough league, and uh, when like exactly like you said, it's just not an easy situation. And why would Villanova be any different than any other school that has trouble moving on from an extremely successful dude who retires on his own terms? I mean that that's the best case scenario, the best that you can ask for, and. Um, yeah, just uh, get again, Villanova, get over yourselves, and just I just have to say it's so funny to be to be like 
like a medium large donor, you know, like that is not even large scale, you know, that's like not even whale donor category. So you're just kind of like bragging about being like, you know, like in small print at the bottom of the dedication plaque, not in big print at the dedication plaque. I just thought it was funny that he would think that donating money in his past gave extra credence to a very like milk toast, you know, like to say the coach should be fired after you lose. Like that's like a million people are saying that you're not like bringing some, you know, something new into the universe. Even it's all yeah. just so, so good. And then to be like, to be like earnestly responding stuff, like, yeah, we're just so successful that we have the money to do that. It's like, Whoa, bro, come on. He, he really did double down. I, Penn isn't even in the grand scheme of things. Like Penn is not bad. It's not like a Holy cross level loss. Like it's, you know, yeah. not ideal, but um, it's not like reevaluate everything that you've done uh, in the last like year and, you know, sit down in the shower and think about everything that's gone wrong type of vibes. But yeah, I mean, usually the people that are bragging about how much money they're, they have, or they're donating, and then it's that amount, um, you know, it really speaks speaks volumes about how they are as people because the super rich people um don't say a word and that's yeah. usually not an accident so um just a really interesting display um <laughs> from from the, that person just an yeah. unbelievable performance honestly but you know they're the talk a, of the town now yeah it was almost a providence college style you know like that was it was giving real pc fan vibes uh to yeah. me which you know maybe Maybe that's the future of Villanova is, is Providence College. Something to think Oof. about. Speaking of Providence College, the Friars are 2-0 and under Kim English. Beating Wisconsin 72-59. I mean, English did inherit a good roster. And they're always, uh, you know, a team with a chip on their shoulder. And English is a good coach. So I I have no, you know, all jokes aside, uh, I do do think Providence will be a tough tough out this year, and all indications are that, that will be the case. I love Bryce Hopkins. I, I think he's like a sneaky Big East Player of the Year candidate. Yeah. Um, I think Devin Carter is really good too. They combined for thirty seven points and that went over the Badgers. They're they're a good team, and um, at the time I kind of thought the Kim English hire was like a, a panic hire, uh, just because like all that cool stuff happened so fast, and they were Providence kind of was scrambling to get their guy. Um, but it seems like it's working so far and the talent is there. I don't know if they're, you know, top of the big East contender, but if they can keep it rolling, they should be an NCAA tournament team and you get to the big dance, anything can happen. So, um, I'm pretty excited to see when, when Carter and Hopkins come through, uh, to Connecticut this year, cause it should be a good matchup and the, the fans go absolutely wild when Providence comes to town. Yeah. My my line on Bryce Hopkins, I feel like I've said it 14 times, but it's it's why the heck is he even at Providence College? Dude, what do you just get out of Providence College, especially the coach leads? Bro, go somewhere else. Go go to St. John's. Go whatever. I don't know. Uh I guess he loves I don't even have a I don't know. Uh, I guess he yeah. loves the the river fire. The beach. Loves the beach. I guess he loves Capitol Grill. Um yeah. uh it's, all that being said, uh, St. John's loses to Michigan, 89-73. The Rick Patino project is at one and one. I'm, you know, again, similar to some someone else, you know, Villanova, I guess. You know, I'm not losing steam on the fact that I think this uh, Patino-St. John's team will probably be pretty good, but 
man, are we getting it shoved down our throats? There's like a, there's like a Patino Chronicles like podcast or video show or something like that. Like every time he's on, he's just like rapping stories and everyone's just like, don't you love Rick? Isn't it great? What a phenomenal story, you know? And it's like, what do you mean phenomenal story? He got hired by St. John's. Like, it's not, you know, let's let something happen before we go calling it a phenomenal story. Um, all of that said, I think it'll all work out. Like, I do think he'll do well at St. John's. I just, I'm already annoyed at the amount of everything that's around it. Um, even taking aside, like, I'm, I'm actually past the, like, oh, Rick Pitino's a bad person, you know? Like, I, I'm, I'm even past that piece of it all. And just, like, stop forcing this as, like, a feel-good story. It's a, it's a basketball coach at St. John's, a team that hasn't done anything, and just hired a guy, you know, the guy from Iona. And he's an old dude who everyone knows, but, again... He hasn't done shit yet. So it's just so weird to to have like this much pre-attention on it. I I guess I kind of disagree. I am pretty happy Rick Pitino's back in the Big East. I he's just, you know, such an easy target um for for so many reasons. I'm not going to spend more than like 15 seconds on that, but um I just the dude is an incredible basketball coach. Like just in terms of like one of the best basketball minds in the country. And um, that's going to transform any team. Like he made Iona, you know, just with his name brand and his ability, coaching abilities, made them like a very, very respectable program in the Northeast um, pretty quickly. And so, I mean, there's still good pieces there. Joel Soriano, they have our guy Naheem Aline over there. Um, hoping Aline gets some more burn as the season progresses. He only played 18 minutes, uh, only scored eight points off the bench, but uh, I think he's a good player. I think he'll play a lot come conference play, but um, I'm in the same boat with you in terms of the St. John's team amount. I think they're going to be fine. Um, Patino has done this before. I, I feel like they're going to gel a little bit. There's so many transfers. There's so much turnover with that roster. It's going to take some time for it to come together and um, they're going to be a problem in, in the big East and UConn like inexplicably lost that game at XL center to St. John's last year. And, I don't know. I, I could totally see something like that happening again, just because it's always Rick Pitino. It's always, it's always something weird like that um, where those things kind of happen to UConn. So um, I'm happy Pitino's in the big East. I, I miss his tweets. Were you a Pituito? Were you a Pituito at all, man? I, I, I could see you as a Pituito. So uh, I'm, aware he gets his, I'm aware of his former Twitter presence. Now he's like pretty straight on Twitter. Yeah. I wish he was firing off some real surly ones like he used to. And I hope he brings out the white suit. I feel like he could bust out the white suit for uh Yukon St. John's at MSG. Like not even a year after the athletic department said they wouldn't play Yukon at MSG again. And Patino just kind of like steamrolled them and was like, we're playing every game in MSG, whether you like it or not. Um that'll probably be a pro Yukon crowd again, but we'll see what happens. It'll be funny to see Patino in a white suit. Yeah, <laughs> or or uh, the Carnesecca sweater. Maybe oh yeah, ooh, that like could that. be good. Look, Rick, I I like him in the league too. I, he's a like you said, very good basketball coach. He's a showman. He coaches his teams typically have like a fun, entertaining style. They're typically like high scoring, run and gun types of teams uh, that shoot. And I think he's aiming to do something similar at at St. John's right now. I am just specific. I'm doing media critique. You know, I'm I'm specifically being like, stop being like, welcome back, Rick Pitino. I love you so much. Literally, like, I, well, I'm, to, you know, everyone's doing it, so I can't 
I can't even call out names. But when you make when you make the when you make the old guys get the feels like that, that's what happens. I'm just sick of it. I don't care. Patino Chronicles, like you know, Chronicles of what right now? But I will say, you know, Iona was a fairly was it like a reasonably respected program before that. To be to be fair to all of it, I agree though. But I agree. I'm I'm, I'm not trying to take away. He's a good basketball coach. I think it's cool for the league that he's in it. it. It adds to the intrigue. I mentioned this previously. You know, he mentioned he recruited personally like half of the coaches that are in the league right now. You know, like he remembers all of them as players. And I believe him, you know, like when he says that, including Dan, yeah. including it's Shane, crazy. Shane Holloway and Sean Miller. Yeah, it's crazy how, how old he is. Like, honestly, um, and he really is like, this is very like corny, like cliche, but like he's, he has such a like almost Forrest Gump style run through basketball. Like it's just <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Everything Boston that Celtics, he's kind of New York Knicks. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like just Louisville, you know, he had the tattoo on his butt and then it got the, it got redacted, like just wild stuff. Um, Cause he, he's like a mercenary, like he can go anywhere and win, which is correct. You know, really unbelievable, but um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see when he comes back. I'm curious how long he'll be at St. John's. Um, but I think it's a good fit for him, honestly, given where he is in his career. For sure. I think, you know, I think he'll be there for two to three years and then see what happens. But I mean, you know, if you get him to a point in the big East, then maybe you can get him to the next point and you don't need to leave. Uh, and you know, he can only deal with so many moves. And I think for him, literally not having to switch his house was probably a big reason why he took the St. John's job from Iona. So, you know, yeah. I don't know it have to be a, it would have to be a geographic fit, maybe Rutgers or something like that. But um, they seem, they seem pretty solid with their coach. I guess Pykele could get hired away, but we're just making stuff up. Um, all right. Final score on the Big East scoreboard that I wanted to talk with you about. Marquette 71, number 23, Illinois 64. I watched the extended highlights of this. It seemed like a pretty good game. Uh, congrats to Marquette on the dub. Looks like Tyler Polek is nursing a small injury, but played through it. Uh, Marquette is good. Marquette is good. Marquette is motivated. They look like Clubber Lang at the beginning of Rocky III. I'm uh, mildly concerned. Yeah, I, I really like Tyler Kolick. I think he's just like a really uh, fun Big East basketball player. I, I love the way that he plays. Um, he's a tough matchup for anybody. He's a great distributor, but I feel like the last, I don't know, towards the end of last season into now, he's really looking for his own shot more. Uh, he had 24 points. He, he's just like the heart and soul of that team. Um, there's a lot of talent on that roster. Uh, they did lose Omax Prosper, but there's still Osa Godaro. Um, I really like that guy, Ben Gold, who comes off the bench. He only had three points against Illinois, but he torched UConn last year. He was a matchup nightmare. Um, I imagine they're going to deploy him again a lot against Klingon because he can really stretch the floor. He did the same thing against Sunogo last year. So they're a fun team. I think there's a lot of hype around Creighton as like a stealth Final Four team. I kind of like Marquette more, um, and I think the Ken Palm metrics back me up on that. But um, – I, I think Marquette's really good. I think it'll be Marquette and UConn kind of dueling it out for the Big East, like regular season title. Um, and Creighton could slip in there too. But um, if I had to pick out of that three, 
I would say Marquette and UConn are are a little bit above the the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Creighton Creighton looks pretty solid. We didn't include any of their scores here because they just kind of uneventfully are winning. Uh, but we'll see Creighton obviously soft, uh, but <laughs> uh, team to keep an eye on. I, I agree. I think it's definitely Creighton and Marquette up top. And just what's annoying and challenging is that so many other teams will be difficult to play. UConn's first Big East game of the season will be December 20th at Seton Hall. That's going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening.